21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. So the healthcare dilemma in the United States is really made up of, of three areas, in my opinion, right? You have the payers and you have the providers of healthcare and then you have the consumers of healthcare. And the challenge that, that I have seen over the 23 years I've been in this industry is how there's really been no alignment between the three. So if you think about the normal business, we understand the cost of delivering a service. We understand what we get for the service and we make sure that we have a profit margin that keeps us in business, right? Healthcare falls apart because we don't really understand the true costs of delivering the service. We are getting our reimbursements cut continuously from the insurance companies. And now a lot of that money is, is the responsibility of the consumer who may or may not be able to pay that bill. Right? And so you, you really have impacts to margin in, 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 in an industry that is impacting every single one of us. And I think that's that's the dilemma that, that continues to, to boggle my mind as, as a leader in healthcare consulting and software development over my career is, is how this industry can continue to operate in such an archaic nature. You know, we have made so many advancements on the clinical care, right? You look at the way people are living longer, you look at robotics, you look at all the new procedures and way we treat cancer and, and joints and osteoarthritis, all of these amazing things on the clinical side, all these amazing drugs and med devices. But what gets forgotten about is how you get paid for that. It seems ironic a little bit to me when I when I talk to, to people is, you know, here we are delivering exceptional care, doing the best we can to deliver exceptional care, but we may not be able to keep our doors open, right? Because we're not profitable. And, and we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of uh, physician groups consolidate. We're seeing a lot of physicians have to become employed by hospitals. We're seeing a lot of hospitals going out of business. And all of this is impacting communities. Uh, I know a lot of physician groups who have stopped taking Medicare patients. Most don't even take Medicaid patients. So now, you know, if you can afford health care on your own or you have good insurance, then I can be treated. So that's that's not 100 percent of society. Right. It's a fraction. So there's, there's a lot of challenges uh, that are going into this, this industry that, that we all have to consume uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, whether you're, my son gets sick and has to go to the doctor's office or my dad who recently had a few hospital procedures and now we're arguing about a bill and how much we owe and it's, it's a complex world. So I've invested most of my career looking at ways to bring intelligence to the surface for healthcare providers to understand where they're losing money the most.
And what I've really focused on the last few years in my career is, is designing software that looks at the effectiveness of people. You know, if you think about uh, lean manufacturing, right? We know what it takes to put a car together and get it out the door. And we know what we're selling it for. And we know there's a margin there. But if you were to ask a question to any healthcare provider, how many people and how many touches does it take to get an outcome, a financial outcome as in the payment? They can't answer that question for you. <laughs> it's scary, right? <laughs>
at trying to claw back some of this margin that's being lost because of the declining reimbursement and this huge increase in inflation, uh, inflationary cost for supply chain and labor. And that's not changing. I was talking to a physician the other day who said, well, it's going to get better, right? And I said, no, sir, it's not. Your costs to deliver care are still going to be exponentially increasing. And your reimbursement for delivering that care is going to continue to decline. That's not a good business. So what do we do about that? We cannot bank that the payers are all of a sudden going to have empathy for us and start giving us more money to treat their patients. So what do we do? We got to look inside first. We got to say, okay, can I create more capacity in my teams by holding people more accountable for outcomes, good quality outcomes. But in order to, to, to measure the quality of outcomes of people, you have to be able to measure everything that it's taking to get claims paid. Every touch, right? And I think that people are starting to understand that, but there's a paralysis right now in this industry with spending money on anything. You know, it, it's kind of, uh, it's hard when you're losing so much money and somebody says, I need you to pay a little bit more to get a lot more. A lot of times it's still hard to write that check. And I, 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 I'm very uh, cautious with, with provider groups that I'm talking with to say, be very careful about what you choose not to spend money on. Because the decision to not make a decision could have negative consequences far greater than whatever economic cost it was going to cost you in the, in the short term. And so, so doctors have to be really careful with this. Hospital systems too, you know. Um, I think that when you get into more of the for-profit players, the private equity back groups, right, they're starting to see that now, that, that they need to really, really look at how they can improve margin by looking at resources and the amount of resources it's taking to get the outcome. But the, the not-for-profit groups and the independently owned physicians uh, are still struggling with that. And, and they're the ones that are, are hurting, you know, and, and it's, it's not a, a good time uh, in healthcare for us. I mean, you know, I, I do, I speak a lot uh, at conferences and sometimes people say I'm the, the doom and gloom guy. And it's like, I don't feel like I'm doom and gloom. I'm, I'm more of a realist. I, I, I use an analogy that my dad taught me years ago about sailing. And he said, you know, the, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist hopes the wind changes and the realist adjusts the sails, <laughs> right? And, and I'm just adjusting the sails, you know, and, and I know that we're not going to have a big move with payers, especially the government, right? Medicare, Medicaid, start paying more money for these services. And I don't think that the supply chain companies and the drug companies, big pharma are going to start charging less. And I don't think that this wage inflation that we're seeing, I don't think people are going to say, hey, you were paying me more, but. I realize you're struggling financially, so why don't you pay me less? It's not going to happen. And then you have a workforce at the same time of people that want to work from anywhere, right? That want more flexibility in their lives, which it's just a reality. So, so it's it's a tough business. Uh, but I love this industry because it 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 continues to create uh, complexities that that my entrepreneurial brain wants to try to solve. You know, and I. I grew up working in the consulting firms and I ended up leaving uh, uh, Deloitte and Touche back in 2006 to start my first company uh, doing exactly what I'm talking about here. And I was young. I was a 29 year old 
who had who basically was fed up with the the healthcare industry and knew there was a better way of getting uh, intelligence out of these these transactional systems and and generating better work drivers for people so that you could actually tell someone this is what I need you to work on because the software says so and then I'm going to measure how well you did at it right and so that started my journey in building a company now at the time I didn't realize that the recession of 2008 and 9 thanks to the real estate crisis was going to be a tough way for a young guy to start a business and so I I was able to to survive and sell it to a publicly traded company years later but I learned a lot during that time uh, a lot of things that I wish I hadn't done as a not young entrepreneur but then a lot of things too that I think created some more callousness in my myself to to be able to get through tough times and not and not fall victim to being reactive and short-sighted decision making um it's it takes a certain type of person to to want to take an idea that they're obsessing about in their head and do something about it. You know, uh, it's easy to to have an idea, but when you when you have to go put your own money against it and you're not raising money from other people, then then it really I think is a testament to how how much passion do you believe uh, in what you're trying to do. And in this case, you know, it's carried my whole career. You know, I've, I've been at this since 2000. And, and, you know, the revenue cycle and specifically the technology development, software development and deployment is, is, is where I'll continue to, to, to stay. And, and I do believe that this industry will, will eventually start to become smarter. Um, I don't know the timeline on that. And, and that's, that's always what frustrates. I, I, I hate seeing clinics going out of business or clinics not being able to take certain types of patients or uh, hospitals closing, right? It, it hurts communities. It hurts, uh, uh, it, it drives quality of care. I mean, you think about if your margins are under pressure, you can't invest in the new technology that's being developed. You know, maybe you want to buy an MRI machine to serve your patients better, but you don't have the cash flow to do it. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it would be a very good business school case study to, to, to look at the change in healthcare over the last 30 years and where we're at today. one of the things that I, I learned early on in, in life is, is that, and I, I coach a lot of youth sports at all levels, including high school. And I try to explain to my, my kids that you control actions and not outcomes in life. I think a lot of times people think we control an outcome. You know, I have a baseball player that says, I want to play in the pros. And I, and I look at him, I said, Hey, that would be great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to do it. So, you know, my first question to him is, well, how obsessed are you willing to be? at doing the work that it takes to give you a best opportunity to make it to the pros, right? How many times a week are you going to the batting cages? How many times a week are you asking your dad to play catch? How many times a week are you hitting the tee? Uh, you know, what are you willing to do? And you can apply that to any part of your life. You know, this kind of speaks to self-actualization a bit uh, is I believe that the society has kind of lost that drive. Uh, I think when you're talking to your audience of a lot of entrepreneurs, they're probably in a different, they have a different makeup than, than the majority of society and that they become obsessed with an idea and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make that successful, knowing that at the end of the day, it still may not be. 
right? I think of, I think it was the founder of GoPro who said, I think he had four failed businesses before he, he had a, a winner, you know, and a lot of people would have given up after one, but he didn't, you know, he stayed with it. You know, one of the things that I'll talk a little bit about, and some of your listeners may may uh, have a need or know people in need, is, is I started a, a virtual community. It's an app. It's an Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, or Google Play for Android, and it's a it's for people suffering from addiction. So it's it's a virtual global community. Uh, we probably have some folks even in Croatia that have a platform to engage with other people like them that may be suffering from physical addiction like alcoholism or drugs or uh, behavioral addiction, uh, you know, gambling could be, you know, sex, anything related to behavior or emotional addiction. And that's the probably the thing that I'm most focused on now in my, in my journey on looking at, at people trying to get into recovery is how our emotions can drive so much of our maladaptive behavior is, you know, I grew up uh, in a great household. I have an identical twin brother. Um, and I think of like, I spent most of my life playing for I'm not good enough. I need to be recognized by my parents. I need to be differentiated from my brother. And that's carried into adulthood. And so when you think of, of, of playing for I'm not good enough, right? That creates an opportunity for for a lot of maladaptive behavior, you know, as if I feel like I'm failing, I want to disconnect maybe through alcohol. And so I, I got sober uh, coming up on six years here in November. Um, and I remember when I was in treatment uh, at a pretty, pretty solid uh, treatment facility here in the US that's known for really the academics around recovery, not just a pleasure place to go to. I remember on discharge asking the uh, checkout uh, nurse, is there anyone I can connect with back in San Diego who's like me that suffered with alcoholism? And she said, well, here's a guy's name <laughs> and gave me a phone number. And I said, is he sober? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, is he a surfer? Like, is he an athlete? Like, what, what can I relate? Is he a business executive? Like, can I relate with him? And she said to me, she said, those would be really good things to know. So the entrepreneurial side of me said, let's create that. So I spent the next year and a half creating this platform uh, and it's free for the world to use because I don't think it's fair for people to be suffering from addiction and thinking they're alone and that nobody else understands where they're at. Because I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of people that understand exactly where you're at. And that's been a, a big, big passion project of mine outside of my, my core career, which is in the, in the healthcare software development space. Um, and it's also the thing when I look at the balance of my life, I want to focus on because I see it. I see the impact of addiction now in all generations. And I think this new generation coming up with this, this incessant need for immediate gratification, everything comes easy. I can do it on my iPhone. How many likes do I have? How many views do I have? It's a scary place to think of VR, virtual reality. Where's that going to take us? Where's AI going to take us? Right. Anything. Uh, a friend once told me, he said, when obsession becomes normal, that's addiction. When obsession becomes normal, that's addiction. And so talking kind of back to the entrepreneurs is 
the best ideas are the ones that you come up with because they've you, something has happened to you or someone you know, and you think there's a better way to do it. Everyone sometimes, a lot of people think you have to come up with the new idea, but that's not true. Some people do. They come up with something brand new and it hits the market and they've got a billion dollar market cap overnight. But most successful entrepreneurs find a breakdown in something that already exists and want to do something better. They want to evolve it, right? Uh, and then the real successful ones are the ones that become obsessed with that idea and are willing to do whatever it takes to push through the hard times because there are going to be hard times. And and how much uh, intestinal fortitude, as my college coach used to say, how much intestinal fortitude do you have to be able to get through those, those uh, hard times? And frankly, still believe in yourself and what you're doing and making sure that you develop a team and you build a team around you of believers also. So it's, it's really, um, you know, I look at my personal life, you know, and, and my habits now, uh, obviously becoming, uh, getting sober and, and recovery has been a huge, huge success for me and, and my family and uh, generating relationships and friends. But I'm very disciplined. I think discipline, people talk about, you know, are you motivated? And I don't like the term motivated because I know a lot of motivated people that don't have the discipline to do what they need to do. That they say they want to do. I can be motivated to go run a marathon, but am I disciplined enough to do everything from diet to jogging to exercising to stretching to cold water therapy and everything in between to give me the best shot at making it through a marathon? And so I believe in discipline. Uh, I also get up very early. I do the best thinking early in the morning when it's quiet. I think there was a, a saying that said, I, I love the, there's a, there's a, um, an hour when the night animals have gone to sleep and the day animals haven't quite awakened yet. And that's, that's, that's the clear thinking time, you know? And, and so my wife hates it. <laughs> she's like, you're always up so early and she's not an early riser. But I do think that a lot of people that are successful in their careers, they leverage those early hours. Um, building exercise and fitness and activity and movement into my day is, is an absolute priority. Uh, my teams know, every one of my VPs know that there's a block on my day for probably an hour and a half to two that they're just not going to get me unless it's some sort of an emergency. And that's my block to tell myself that I am committed to go exercise. And frankly, it's to tell them that I'm committed to go exercise. What are you doing? Because I really do believe that that movement and exercise builds those natural endorphins, which also clears the mind. So there's so many health benefits to that. You know, if you look at the the U.S. and this the the BMIs and the obesity and the diabetes, and I mean, none of this has to be reality, right? If we could get people to have better choices, better 
decisions and more discipline uh, on, on what it takes to be healthy, not just in the body, but in the mind. Because so much of what I've learned in recovery is, is how when the body's not being taken care of, the mind plays tricks on you. I'm sleepy all the time. I'm sad. I'm depressed. Well, a lot of it could be the food that you're eating. It could be the inflammation in your body because of the food you're eating or the things that you're drinking. There's, there's, there's just so much uh, research now on how when we take care of our body uh, and eat clean and, and live an active lifestyle, the benefits of that. And so discipline is a big thing for me. It always has been. And I try to instill that in, in every, every person I work with uh, or works for me and, and, and every, every kid I, I coach. One of the big things that I, I do is I do a lot of volunteer work in my life. And what I've learned in the last six years is when I'm selfless and I'm helping others and I'm training people to actually help others also that that actually builds self-esteem for me, right? I feel like I'm, I'm actually doing something uh, for somebody else, which potentially could be that person doing it for another person. And that's when you start to see progress, you know, in hum humankind. And I, and I frankly, I wish there were more people out there that, that started to look at selfless acts first before they get tied up in the selfish side. Because it's easy to, to play victim. It's easy to say, oh, woe is me. I need this for me. But a lot of times people forget, like, well, hold on a second. We're in a, we live in a good country. I got a roof over my head. I got food on the table. I, I have the ability to transportation. Life's pretty good, right? But there's still people in this country that need help. You know, so what are we doing to help them? And that's really where I think addiction and working with so many folks trying to get in recovery over the last five years is, has been so helpful to me is, is, and I wish I had more awesome stories, you know, but the statistics are against it. You know, I think somebody uh, told me that if a hundred people were in a room saying they're ready to get sober, only 95 will make it a year. Or excuse me, only five make it a year. So 95 relapse in that first year. And, and, you know, if you think of the five, how many of them are actually transforming their lives and recognizing that through choice, they can start to build something extraordinary? One probably out of five. So the goal of my lifelink, which is the sober community I created, is to try to bring that back, is let's get more people into recovery, and more importantly, get them to understand that they have the ability, if they choose to, and have the discipline to, to transform their lives into something amazing, you know? And I've seen it firsthand. So if, if anybody wants to get in, in touch with me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I guess I think the whole world might be on LinkedIn now. Uh, it's a good, good business idea, but just search, search for Matt Seafelt and, and, and connect. I'd love to, to chat with you about really anything related to our topics today, whether you're in healthcare, on the services side or technology side or provider or uh, strictly on the entrepreneurial side. Uh, I, I do a lot of mentorship with especially young entrepreneurs who 
uh, believe they have an idea and they want to understand how to build go-to-market strategies and and how to raise uh, you know raise funds and and how to build teams and how to distribute equity and all those things. So and I made a lot of mistakes in my uh, ventures that I can share with you to see if we could prevent that. On the on this sober app, uh, if any of the listeners uh, yourselves or you have friends or family members who need some help right now, uh, they can search for my life link. And that's on the Apple Store or Google, and it's free. And they can join uh, the community of sober warriors out there fighting every day to stay in recovery and build extraordinary lives. So we'd love to to have anybody uh, as our family continues to grow. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.